Well, last week we started our new series called Rolling Stones, and what a great Easter we had. Thank you to everyone who invited people, and uh, we had a great uh, uh, service. Uh, the band did a, a wonderful job uh, uh, as well. And uh, But uh, uh, as we, uh, at the end of the sermon last week, uh, we all came up, and uh, we got out of our seats, and we wrote on these uh, white uh, poster boards that are around the room. Um, and uh, uh, this, uh, on Wednesday, Chris and myself were just uh, in this room, we were just praying, and uh, we were just uh, reading what was on these boards um, and just praying through what some of the people um, had put, just kind of the tombs that people find themselves in. And it was amazing as we were reading and praying through this. Uh, we, we, we've been planning this uh, uh, this series for several weeks and uh, uh, we nailed down kind of all what we were talking about uh, just even a few weeks ago. Uh, but it's amazing what we were going to talk about throughout this series. Many of you uh, or many of the people who were here last week wrote down on these boards just some of the things that we were, we we're going to talk about, which showed us that this is something that God wants you to hear. And some of you are going through some things in your life that, that God has got a word for you. And God wants to, uh, to, to get you out of those tombs that you find your, yourself in. So what we're going to talk about today um, is something that uh, I, I've, I wanted specifically to speak on during this series. And I've uh, been thinking for several weeks just uh, how to even approach this topic. Uh, because this topic is so sensitive to so many people. Um, and so as we talk about this today, uh, maybe you're going through what we're going to talk about, or you know somebody who's going through what we're going to talk about, uh, I, I want you to hear my heart today yeah, and, and really hear what, 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 what the Word of God has to say about it. Because today we're going to talk about the tomb of depression, the tomb of depression. Um, about five years ago this summer, we took a missions trip to Nicaragua. And we took a team out there and we uh, volunteered at a kids' camp out there. Uh, on the last day when we were about to come uh, home, uh, we heard two big news stories of the day. Uh, the first one, there was a rise of a new uh, terrorist group we'd never heard before that were more militant than Al-Qaeda, and that was uh, a terrorist group called ISIS. We were like, who is ISIS? And now that sounds crazy five years later, right? Uh, but the other big news of the day was the fact that Robin Williams had taken his own life and, and we were shocked and we were, uh, couldn't believe it and I remember hearing the news, how could somebody who was so funny and bring so much joy to people's life, how could he take his life? How could he be in a place where where, where he just didn't want to live anymore. Well, the weeks uh, uh, following that, we heard that, that he suffered from some, some, uh, uh, some mental illnesses and uh, some different things that, that had caused him to, to have this almost cloud of depression over him. But it was about five years ago when this happened, and it kind of opened the door to people talking about mental illness and more specifically depression. Uh, and it's even coming to the Christian circles where people are talking about their depression and all this. Uh, and some of the stories that, that, that you hear are just uh, the same stories of anyone who has dealt with depression. You understand where that person is coming from. Uh, but I've also heard of stories and several over this last year of pastors of churches, leaders of churches who have taken their own lives because they've dealt with depression and they could not defeat their depression in their own life. There was one story that specifically broke my heart was of a young pastor out in California who had taken over the, uh, the, the, the pastorate from his father and this church was growing and it was exploding with growth. There were so many people coming in. They were opening new campuses here and there um, and he had suffered with depression and he had taken a sabbatical to try to combat it. He had been back off sabbatical for two weeks and one Saturday night he decided to take his life. He had a young family, just young kids. And it makes me wonder what is it that is going on in that person's mind that makes them think that life is so hopeless that I can't continue anymore. Uh, and, and so you hear so much of it, and in life and in society, you, you, you hear a lot of statistics about depression, and I've got a little uh, uh, picture that I want to put up on the screens for you, and these are just, uh, if you can see, it's just the different types of depression that people can have, uh, and actually, 
medical depression where someone has uh, like a chemical imbalance that, that is causing them to actually depress is actually a very low percentage of people who actually go through depression. Uh, we've just come out of winter, even though it's still raining right now. Uh, many people, they suffer from seasonal sad syndrome. Anyone suffer from seasonal sad syndrome, you think, today? Uh, I know I get really down in the winter. Like October, November time, suddenly it's like, what happened to the sun? I need the sun. But what, one of the most uh, alarming uh, statistics for me is uh, for women who uh, suffer post uh, postpartum depression. And, it say, and if you look at the statistics there, it says... 10 to 15% of women develop this depression. 10 to 15, and that's major depression. And there's even more who will get some, some sort of depression through their life. And there's lots of different types of ways that people can be depressed or, 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 or be down. And, and, and in the world that we live in today, especially in this culture we live in in the United States, there is a good chance that during your life you will have a moment or a season where you feel that you are a little depressed, whether it's because of a life event, whether it's because of something that you have eaten or something you have digested, a medicine you have taken that has made you feel a little like that, or it's just the anxieties of what's going on in life, there is a good chance that you will go through a moment where, or a season where you will feel depressed. But the reality of depression is this. Depression is real. And it affects so many people. If you have ever experienced depression, you know that depression is paralyzing. It, it, it freezes you. It's impossible just to snap out of depression. And people who don't suffer from depression, they don't understand that when someone is depressed, you can't just snap out of it. I've heard people say, well, just snap out of it. Think positive thoughts, you know. Uh, think on good things. Think of count your blessings that you've had. Snap out of it. You can't do that when you're going through de depression. The other thing that people try to do is they try to cheer you up when you go through depression as well. But cheering someone up who is going through depression is a very futile task because it's very hard to cheer someone up when they are depression. So this is what happens when someone is depressed. When depression comes upon someone, it is like a darkness comes over them. It's like the storm clouds gather, and where there was once sun and light and fluffy blue clouds, now there are rain clouds, and it has suddenly got very dark in their lives. And most people would love to snap out of it. Most people would love to do something to cheer themselves up. But most people are paralyzed in their depression because they have no idea how to move the dark clouds out of their lives. And so when I was preparing this, to, uh, th this week, my initial thought was to talk about just opening a conversation about depression. Opening a conversation of what does the Bible say about it and, and, and so we can think about depression. But the more I started studying this, the more I felt the Lord was saying to me, you really need to tell, show people how to overcome depression. And that's really difficult because we have all, all our different views on depression and different things. But this morning, I'm going to give you, I hate to say it, because it sounds so like, like it's too easy to be true. But I'm going to give you four ways or four steps, what I call it, to overcoming depression in your life. And, and, and this isn't something that, you know, step one Monday, step two Tuesday, step three Wednesday, step four Thursday, bam, wham, thank you, ma'am, I have overcome my depression. It's not a boot camp for depression. These are steps that may take you your whole life to get through and get over. But I want to share the first step with you today, and this is probably the most controversial one, and so hear what I'm saying on this. Step one to overcoming depression is this, is understanding that depression is a result of sin. Now think about that for a moment. Depression is a result of sin. Now I did not say this. 
because we read between the lines. I did not say that depression is a result of your sin. Because so often we hear that and we think, well, because I sinned, I'm depressed. Or because I've got something wrong in my life, I'm depressed. Well, actually, no, you'll find out through the Bible that some of the most holy people in the Bible suffer with depression. Depression is a result of sin because we live in a broken and sinful world. If there had never been sin in this world, there would never be a thing called depression. If Adam and Eve had never eaten of that forbidden fruit and brought sin into this world, then there would never ever be a thing called depression. Because depression is a result of living in a broken and sinful world. Now people don't like to hear that because people blame their chemical imbalance. People blame the life events that happened to them. But the truth is, if there had never been sin, there would never be a chemical imbalance. If there had never been sin, that life event that shook you probably would have never happened. And if you suffer with depression, or if you have tendencies to suffer with depression, I I really think that you need to understand this truth. Because without understanding the truth that your depression is a result of sin, living in a sinful and broken world, if you do not ever understand that, then you will spend your life trying to stop the triggers or stop what triggers your depression and you will never get to the source of your depression. See, this is what happens. We start to understand what triggers my depression. Maybe it's the way I eat or the people I hang out with, or reading Facebook and things, what's going on in Facebook, or maybe it's because of different life events, different things that's going on in our lives. So this is what we often do. We try to avoid those things. We try to stop what triggers our depression. But unless we get to the source of what that depression really is, we will never be able to overcome that depression. That is why medicine may help you feel better, But medicine will never be able to free you from your depression. Because without it, that depression will return. So you're not free of that depression. When we treat the triggers to our depression, eventually we're probably going to fail. Because if you are someone who has a tendency to be depressed, then you keep treating and treating and treating the triggers that bring depression, and eventually it wears you out and it gets tiring. But when you start to understand that depression is a result of living in a sinful and broken world, you can start to understand what it is going to overtake to what it's going to take to overcome your depression. Now, if you have never dealt with depression and you don't have the tendencies to ever get depressed, this is not an off Sunday for you. Because the reality is, is something could happen in your life and it could bring depression on. The reality is this, is there are people in your life, whether you know it or not, who are dealing with depression. And if you don't deal with depression, you probably deal with anxiety or you deal with fear or you deal with worry about tomorrow. And all these steps that we're going to talk about today, you can just apply to anxiety or to fear or to worries about tomorrow. So before we continue, we're going to look at someone in the Bible who suffered depression with depression. And you wouldn't believe this person who actually suffered with depression unless you know your Bible and probably you know your Bible. But I want to give you four things first, what you can't do if you're going through depression or if you're going through anxiety or if you're going through fear. The first thing is this, and I've already mentioned it. You can't just snap out of it. You can't snap out of it. The second thing that really won't help free you of your depression is this. Being around other people won't destroy it. We often think that someone who is depressed, that uh, they lock themselves up on their own. And, uh, but if we could just get them together with other people, if we could just get them with their friends, then they won't be depressed. But the reality is being around other people won't destroy your 
depression. It may make you feel better for a couple of minutes, but it won't destroy your depression. The third thing is this. Sleeping it off is a bad idea. Sleeping it off is, not, is a bad idea. Depression is not a hangover, just to let you know. Sleeping it off is, not a, is a bad idea because this is what's going to happen. When you're depressed, you want to sleep because you want to close your eyes to get away from the world. But as soon as you open your eyes, that world is still there. And the more you try to sleep it off, the worst actually it often gets. And then the fourth thing that will not help the depression is one that is going to need some explanation. And this is this. Praying it away doesn't work. Praying it away doesn't work. You're like, Alex, we're in a church. You're a pastor. We believe in prayer, right? We pray. Why are you saying that? I believe in prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that with prayer, anything is possible. All things are possible. Paul says to pray in everything about everything, right? You always pray. It doesn't mean don't pray. You should pray if you're depressed. But often praying does not seem to work. And this is why. Because often as Christians, we think by just praying to God, God will take things away. But I found that very often, God does not always take things away in our life. And this is why. Because God is not in the business of medicating people. God is not in the business of medicating people. Let me explain to you. Often you take a, you, you're in pain, right? You've got a headache. You, you have some, the older you get, the more your joints start to ache, right? So what do we do? Let me take a painkiller. Let me take a ibuprofen or a, a leave or, you know, a Tylenol just to take the pain away. We medicate it so that the pain won't there. The pain's still there. It's just we want the pain to go. And so often when we pray, we are asking God to medicate us. We want the pain to go. We just want it to disappear, just take it away, God. So we pray to God like God is medicating us. But this is the deal. God is not in the business of medicating us. God sent his son, Jesus, to give his life to transform us. See, God isn't about taking your pain away. God is about transforming your whole life so you see a new life and a new day where there is no more pain and no more suffering. Just praying about it is not the answer. The answer is found in knowing solid theology and letting that theology through the life of Christ renew and change you. So let's see what happens to one person in the Bible. His name is Elijah. Elijah, one of the greatest prophets who ever lived. In fact, many people believe in the book of Revelation where before Jesus returns, two prophets are going to come on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, into the Israel and they're going to breathe fire down from heaven. Many people speculate that they will be Moses and Elijah. I don't know. Remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and Peter and James and John were there, suddenly their mouths were open. <gasps> it's Elijah came and met with Jesus. I don't know what that was all about. It's kind of mystical and a little strange, but this is this Elijah. So in 1 Kings 19, I'm going to read verse 1 to 9 first, and let's see what it says. It says, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you did to them. So let me give you some background just very quickly. Elijah lived in a time when there was a king called Ahab who was an evil king and he had an even more evil wife called Jezebel. Do we have anyone called Jezebel in the house today? No. Jezebel was evil. She promoted the worship of a false god called Baal, B-A-A-L. She had, re- re- she had uh, appointed 
many prophets and many, uh, or, or, and many priests to become prophets and priests of this false god called Baal. In fact, they were turning the whole nation of Israel away from Baal. But Elijah was like, no. Jehovah God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob is the one true God. I'm going to stand against you. And it came to a head on a mountaintop called Mount Carmel, where suddenly Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal to to pray to their God, set up a sacrifice, pray to their God that their God would come and consume the sacrifice. So the prophets of Baal spent all day playing music, conforming their body, praying, chanting, doing whatever they did, doing a rain dance, whatever they did in order to breathe fire down and burn up the sacrifice. But we all know what happened. It's a false God. They were praying to no one. Nothing happened. Then Elijah steps up and Elijah says, hey, bring me some water. And he throws water all over the sacrifice. So there's like a little stream, a a little little moat going around the sacrifice. The sacrifice is soaking wet. And Elijah calls to God for fire to come down. Immediately fire comes down, burns the sacrifice, shows that the God of Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob is the one true God. And then Elijah has the 300 prophets killed. Maybe that was a little over the top. I'm not sure, but that's what he did. Wonderful victory, showing that God is real. And so Jezebel comes and says, because you did that to my guys, I'm going to try to make sure that your life is taken. So let's continue reading. It says this in verse 3. It says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in in Judah, and left his servant there. Let me just stop there for a moment. We're going to see in a moment that Elijah is depressed. Isn't it funny that when people are depressed, they run to a town called Beer, right? Just saying. Don't know what that's all about. (laughs) Then in verse 4 it says, Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat under a solitary broom tree, which was this big tree that had leaves that came down that gave you great shelter. It says, and he prayed that he might die. Aren't you glad God doesn't answer all your prayers, right? Because sometimes we pray prayers we don't really mean. He says this, I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. As he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again, touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank the food that was given to him. So it'd give him enough, enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. So here we got Elijah. Elijah is depressed and he's depressed, I think, for this one reason. He's depressed because he has done all he can to convince the people of Israel that God is real. He has been the one that has stood firm and said that God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob is the one true God. He has shown by fire from heaven that God is real. And not only that, but there had been a drought in the land for seven years. And Elijah goes up to a mountain and prays for rain. And guess what? It starts to rain. God answers Elijah's prayer. And then God gives Elijah special strength to run faster than a chariot. Elijah has experienced life where God is in the midst, where the power of God is on show. But yet the people of God, the people of Israel still have not turned to God. And now his life is in danger. And this is what he says. God, I want to die. I want to die. Now, it's funny because his prayer 
is very different from his action. Because if he really wanted to die, he could have just gone into the king's courts and says, where's Jezebel? I'm here. Take my life. He ran away from someone who wanted to kill him, and then he prays to God, I want to die. See, this is really what's going on. What's really going on is that Elijah wanted to live. But the black cloud of depression and anxiety that was hovering over him was too much to bear. And he wanted to leave that life that he was experiencing right now and get back into a place where suddenly he could see the sky. Elijah, the prophet of fire, now on his knees before God, saying, God, I'm scared, I'm fearful, I want to die. Elijah should be celebrating. He's just seen the fire of God. He's seen rain come. He's run faster than a chariot. That's pretty fast. But instead, he's overcome by the darkness of depression. And this is often what happens. Often your greatest victories will give you your greatest nightmares because now you have set a standard that you may never achieve again. Let me tell you, today is the day that there are so many pastors throughout this country who will go home depressed. And this is why. Because last week, all these churches had record attendances. And statistics will show you that today is one of the lowest attendances Sundays, church-going Sundays of the year. So often our victories will turn into our greatest nightmares because we think, how can we ever get there again? We set so much depression on ourselves. Any of you have been sad after vacation? You've planned vacation, right? And you've gone on vacation and suddenly vacation's over and you're like, oh. Now I've got to go back to my terrible life. One of my friends, John Jay, him and his wife had, had chosen to be faithful to God and uh, keep themselves until their marriage night. You know what I mean by that? If you don't, ask the person next to you, right? On their wedding night, they were in their hotel room. He was all excited. It's his wedding night. And suddenly, his new bride, Shannon, is crying her eyes out. Not good, right? And she keeps crying and crying and crying. And he asked her, Shannon, why are you crying? And she says, because it's all over. My wedding day I've planned for, for, for months and even years. It's all over. I can't believe it. It's all over. And my friend John Jay, and if you knew him, you'd laugh even more at this. He said, he says, well, he goes, can you at least cry naked, you know? And so... <laughs> The empathy of a husband, right? But she was so sad because it was over. Sometimes our greatest victories turn into our biggest nightmares. And have you ever been in a place like Elijah where you felt, I just want to die? I don't want to continue this anymore. You've had so many great things in life and I'll never be able to get to the place where I once was. Maybe you want to live but you're just fed up of continuing to feel the pain that you're feeling. Or you feel like the black clouds just keep gathering around you. We're not told why Elijah was depressed. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he was hungry. Maybe he was scared. Maybe he was anxious. Maybe he set too much expectation for himself. Maybe he had a chemical imbalance. We're not sure why he wanted to die. But all we know in this moment, Elijah is depressed. And this is how I know he was depressed. Because for years, I dealt with depression. I dealt with this paralyzing disease that I called my depression. See, I had so many unsaid expectations of myself. And what I thought other people demanded of myself, that, that I thought I could never reach the person I thought I should be. See, from a young age, people say, God's got a calling on your life. God's going to use great things, use you for great things. But all my life, I started to see, well, no, I'm no better than anybody else. And these people have told me I'm going to be this great person for God. And it's like this depression came over me that I wouldn't be who I thought 
I could be or what other people thought I would be. I saw it in an early age. I remember for two weeks straight when I was at school, I faked an illness because I didn't want to go to school. I didn't know why I didn't want to go to school. I just didn't want to be around other people. I just want to stay at the house by myself. This was when I was 12 years old. And then I would sleep a lot. And teenagers sleep a lot. I know that. But I just never wanted to get out of bed. I ate a lot of comfort food. Pizza was my friend. I started wanting lots of people's attention. And I would feel down when others got attention and I couldn't get attention. Or someone got, got, got commended for something, but I never got commended. And it made me feel worse and worse. And so I started to gather people's attention. And so I would try to get girls' attention. Or I tried to get attention by doing sports and doing different things. But it didn't work. I started to put my head in the sand when, things, when life got tough. I pushed people away instead of people towards me. Uh, the older I got, I started to realize I couldn't take criticism. If someone criticized me, I couldn't take it. And then as a pastor, I became overwhelmed as a pastor. And I hated Saturdays. Saturdays were a terrible day. Saturdays should be a great day. You know, there's cartoons. There used to be cartoons on, on the TV on Sunday, Saturday morning. But I hated Saturday because Sunday was coming. And I was so anxious about Sunday. And then on Sundays after church, I used to go home, lie on the couch and sleep for hours and beat myself up because how poorly I preached that day. The dark cloud of depression had left me in the tomb of the dead and I couldn't get out of it. And sometimes I would stand up here on a Sunday and smile and preach, but then I would go home and I'd feel emotionless because of the darkness that was over me. And I suddenly started realizing that my depression was a result of sin, living in a sinful and broken world. But also, not just that. Step two, to overcoming depression. I started to realize that you need to speak out what you see, what you hear, and what you feel. Speak out what you see, what you hear, and what you feel. I wonder if Elijah was like me. I wonder if he just had unmet expectations, unset expectations of himself. But I love what God does. Notice, he doesn't tell Elijah, Elijah, snap out of it. Come on, I'm God, snap out of it. He doesn't reprimand him. Do you know what he does? He gives him comfort food. Have you noticed that? Elijah wanted to sleep, the angel touched him, and he woke up, and right by his bed, there was bread on hot stone. He gave him pizza. Isn't that amazing that the God of the universe comes down and sees you in your depression? He doesn't get mad with you. Instead, he comes and comforts you. Because anyone who's been through depression knows that pizza is amazing. You feel worse after because of all the calories you ate, but while you're eating it, it's amazing. Elijah wanted to sleep, but God kept waking him up because God kept wanting to engage him. For God knows that a person with depression needs to be engaged with others and with him, but too often their depression causes them to push people away. Notice, though, what God did to Elijah. He says, Elijah, okay, you need to eat because you need to get up because the journey ahead is too tough. And after 40 days of 40 nights of walking on his own, he leads, God leads him into a cave. Into a cave. Trust me, a cave all by yourself is the last place a person suffering from depression should be. But God is about to show Elijah that in your darkest places, there is transformation. In your biggest tombs, there is joy and there is light. This is what it says, verse 9. Then he came to a cave and he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. 
And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. A mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Then he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord said to him, go back the same way you came. Travel to the wilderness of of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel, king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son, uh, sorry, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Saphat, from the town of of, uh, Abelamoth to replace you as my prophets. Anyone who escapes from Hazel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape from Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I have preserved 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. I love what God asked Elijah here. Elijah, why are you here? God asked one of those questions that God already knew the answer to. Why are you here? I'm depressed. I want to be by myself. I want to die. But this is what God is doing. God is pulling out of Elijah what he is seeing, what he is hearing, and what he is feeling. See, the first step to overcoming depression is understanding that we live in a sinful and broken world. But the second one is this, is to open up and speak out what you sense and what you feel and what you hear and what you see in your darkness. Because by speaking it out, you often start, suddenly start to understand your narrative of life is not really what life is, is happening in life. So then it moves us to step number three, and that's this, listen to the quiet whisper. Elijah had lost perspective. He'd seen the miraculous, but the miraculous did not change the hearts of people. And Elijah was beside himself. He had this one-dimensional view of God. His model of ministry was fire ministry. And, And if God didn't move in the fire, then how could God move? So then God comes and sends a windstorm. But Elijah didn't feel God in the windstorm. Then he came and sent an earthquake, but he didn't feel God in the earthquake. Then he sent fire. And he didn't feel God in the fire. And back in Elijah's day, many people thought the gods would show themselves through, through the wind and through the earth and through the fire. But God was not in it at all. What God is doing here, he is breaking down Elijah's theology and showing Elijah really how God moves. Then it says this in a small, quiet whisper. Suddenly he hears God's voice. Something amazing happens. He stops. He listens to God's voice. And suddenly, that stone that's over his tomb of depression starts to roll away. God came in a way Elijah did not expect. It's the quiet whisper of God's peace that dampens the loud noises of depression in our lives. See, depression is loud. It's loud in your ear. That's all you can hear. But God's whisper of peace dampens out the voice of depression. The third step to overcoming depression is not found in the big moments of life. They are overcome by the quiet whispers of God's unconditional love and grace poured out upon our lives. See, God had a message for Elijah, but because... But before he could hear God's message, he had to transform Elijah's mind and soul. What Elijah was anxious of, God had already taken care of. But God had to deal with Elijah's dark place before he could show him the light. See, this is what I know. Depression can be beat. If someone has a chemical imbalance, it still can be beat. If someone has had a life event, it still can be beat. 
Medication will take the pain away for a moment, but God's whisper will defeat depression's source. Whatever the reason someone is depressed, the answer is not found in sleeping more. It's not found in eating more. It's not find, found in taking your mind off it or being around other people. The answer is to listen to God's voice, the whisper. When you say, I can't, God whispers and says, I can. When you can't impress yourself, God whispers and says, you're everything I imagined you to be. When disappointment drives you down, God whispers and says, don't lose heart. I am with you. When anxiety creeps in, God whispers and says, be anxious for nothing. I've taken care of it. When the actions of others leave you feeling worthless, God whispers and says, you are mine and you are royalty. When the chemical imbalance causes dark clouds to gather, God whispers and says, I am your healer. When the unknown has left you in despair, God whispers and says, I am your protection and guide. When the pain of night leaves you hopeless, the whisper of God says, it won't last. Joy comes in the morning. That's God's whisper to you. See, I can stand here today and say, I am healed of my depression. Do I have moments where suddenly I feel the dark clouds come? Yeah, but I can say I'm healed of my depression. Do you know why? Because suddenly God whispered to me and I heard God's whisper and it was like the stone of my tomb of depression was being rolled away. And this is what I heard God says. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you become. I don't care what you do. All I care is that you allow me to love you. And I heard it as if God was shouting. It was then I stopped trying to make myself a somebody. I stopped trying to labor to grow a church. I stopped trying to be all things to all people. I stopped trying to appease people so everyone would like me. I started to realize I am God's child. And it was like the clouds disappeared. And this is step four of your identity. This is step four of overcoming depression. Find your identity in Christ and not what in this world will try to press onto you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in prayer. As you bow your heads in prayer, if you've been going through the Good and Beautiful Life group series, you've been trying to memorize a verse that's found in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. And I'm going to read this section of Scripture to you. I'm going to read it through the message version. Because I just really like how creative and descriptive the message version puts it. And as I read this my prayer is that God will whisper to you as you start to find your identity in Christ and not in who you think you are but in who God sees you as you are and this is what it says so if you are serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ act like it Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from His perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ shows up again on this earth, you'll show up to the real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. 
And that means killing off everything connected with that way of death, sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all this stuff, not knowing any better. But you know better now. So make sure it's all gone for good, bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. He says this, don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the Creator with its label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish, non-Jewish, religious, irreligious, insider, outsider, uncivilized, uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in a wardrobe God has picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, even tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. And let the peace of God keep you in tune with each other, instead with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail of your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus. Thanking God the Father every step of the way. And this morning, Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that no matter what this life throws at us, no matter how we feel in this life, we know, Lord, that you are beside us, you are guiding us. And Lord, we thank you that you've rolled the stones away from our tombs. And so this morning in this place, God, we listen out for the quiet whisper of God. We don't listen to the narratives that this world is trying to tell us. But we're listening for your quiet whisper. Father, we take off our old life. And if there are people in this place today, Lord, who have suffered with depression, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will help them take off the black clouds of depression. And we put on new clothes, transform clothes knowing our identity is completely fully in you. Not not mattering what we become in this life or what others think of us. What we do, trying to impress people. Our identity is you. In our life events, Lord, that may have shocked us. Our identity is you. Even in a chemical imbalance, Lord, we know our healing is in you. So, Father, today we pray that you will help us to hear the small whisper of your voice. We ask in your name. In just a moment, we're going to come and take communion. The Apostle Paul says that God showed his great love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He said to the church at Corinth, for this is what God himself said, and I pass on to you as I received it. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took a loaf of bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood.
do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death. The reminder that the death is the whisper of God saying, I love you. The whisper of God saying, I will go to any length to reconcile. The whisper of God saying, I will take upon you your infirmities. I will take them upon myself and take them to a cross that you might be healed. But the whisper is more personal than that. The whisper of God today is for your specific situation, your specific need. And so as you come and you receive and take the bread and take the cup, in the presence of that voice of love, listen as God speaks into your life. And then we'd like you to go to the board and once again write on that board what the voice of God is saying to you today. You might think, wow, that's pretty personal. Yes, it is. But God is a personal God, personally involved in bringing healing and completeness and wholeness to your life. That's why every time we take this cup, we remember the death that makes new life possible. God desires to speak new life into your circumstances today. Desires to bring resurrection by rolling away the stones and letting you come forth from the tomb. So as you feel led, there's a station at the front, there's a station at the back. There are four boards around the room. Take and eat, this is his body. Take and drink, this is his blood. What we're going to do with these boards at the end of the series, each week we're going to have a chance to ride on them and uh, we're going to make some sort of peace artwork out of them because so often the pain of life ends up showing the beauty of life. So as you go today, go knowing that we live in a broken, sinful world. But don't keep the feelings in for, for yourself. Speak out what you feel, what you hear, what you see. Because God wants to hear it. Listen to the gentle whispers of God and understand your identity is in Christ and Christ alone, nothing else. And watch as the stones of life that sometimes entomb you start to get rolled 